Our first reading today is taken from Genesis chapter 24, verses 1 to 9 and 61 to 67, and this can be found on page 23 in our church Bibles. Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Then Rebekah and her attendants got ready and mounted the camels and went back with the man. So the servant took Rebekah and left. Now Isaac had come from Beer Laharoi, for he was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate. And as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother Sarah, and he married Rebecca. So she became his wife, and he loved her, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Our Gospel reading today is taken from Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 to 20, and this can be found on page 1000 of the Church Bibles. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, and um, yeah, thank you. Uh, I just wanted to say on behalf of Julie and I, thank you as a church for supporting us uh, in your prayers for Peter and Lisa, who are with us today. Uh, Peter had uh, big surgery in Bristol, uh, and particularly the home group have been coming around him, so thank you, Uh, and it's a testimony to God's goodness. Um, God's word is amazing. And uh, 
This morning we are going to look into it uh, to learn more about the story uh, of the way that the church's history leads up to um, the perfect love gift in Jesus. So um, regardless of what it says on your servant's uh, service sheet, um, I, I frame this obedient to God's call, and that's what we're going to look at today, the principle of obedience. So let's just be reminded of why we read the Old Testament. I wasn't here last week uh, when David spoke on that amazing account of uh, Abraham and Isaac, and I know uh, that uh, David thought that that could be quite emotional. I'm sure it was, because it's about as dramatic as Scripture gets. Uh, when God suggested that um, Abraham should offer up his only son, Isaac, even though God had promised that Abraham, through Abraham, he would be the father of many nations and many descendants. And so that whole account was about the way that faith was tested and God's plan and purpose was fulfilled. So why do we read the Old Testament? I reminded us of this when I spoke just a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's, it's about creation, God's plan for us to be in relationship with him. How sad is the news about a 40-year-old woman who seemingly has everything before her in Caroline Flack and she ends up taking her own life. We live in a pretty screwed up world, don't we? And the reason why you are here today is God wants to declare to you that he loves you. And his perfect plan in creation was for you to be in relationship with him. Unfortunately, we know that that wasn't the way that things turned out. And that he had to provide a different method or way in which we could get back into relationship with him through Jesus. And it's also um, really important to read the Old Testament because time and time again it reminds us of God's restoration plan, his plan for his people, uh, and that's all about a new covenant and a new relationship with him. And we touched on that a couple of weeks ago. And more importantly, the Old Testament points to the ultimate gift of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And the, uh, the symbolism of Abraham and Isaac and pointing forward to God giving his own son in Jesus last week is so, so powerful. And then when we started to look at God's promise to Abraham a couple of weeks ago, it consisted of three parts. It was about a new hope, about living in a new land, free from slavery. And what does that mean to us? It means that we can live life not bound by the things that naturally worry us, but we can live life in the freedom that sin and sin forgiven gives. And that's about God's protection. It's also about new family. And we talked about the family of St. Matthews here uh, being living stones. And uh, you used that phrase this morning, Kirsty, about how together we are building God's kingdom here. And it's so exciting at the cusp of another holiday club week on what God may do in children's lives and whole families. And that's about God building his kingdom, his family, here through his people. 
I was in one of the biggest churches in New York City last week called St. Thomas's. And it was, it was cathedral-like. But there was, there's more a sense of the Spirit here than when I was there last week. Let's be encouraged that God wants to use you and I in building his kingdom here, in this community, in Southcote. And then the promise of redemption is all about new relationship. And relationships are something that all of us feel keenly. When they're going well, we feel great. When they're going poorly, we feel challenged and we feel troubled. And perhaps the challenge to each one of us here today is for me to say, how is your relationship with God this morning? And that brings us to today's focus which is really about living in obedience to what God's call is on each of our lives. So this is um, really an old-fashioned love story. Um, Julie's cringing at this point. Uh, I never show her my PowerPoint. She's always nervous when I speak. I won't embarrass you anymore, darling. But this, this is a lovely, lovely love story in the Bible. Who says God is not a romantic Because what we've got here is we've got the promise that God has given to Abraham and the challenge of how that's going to continue. And we'll come to that. But in this love story, written and enabled by God, it's about moving into a continued commitment to the promised land. It's about new hopes, new dreams, and new family, and that is amazing, to see the covenant that God made with Abraham starting to fulfill through this love story. So what about the names of God? When we came to the passage a couple of weeks ago, we focused on El Shaddai, the almighty God. But in this account, I think there are other names that we can look at, Abba Father, Adonai, El Roy, the God who sees, and Yahweh, the God who is always there, particularly that one El Roy, the God who sees. That was where Hagar, um, at the well, actually named that place uh, El Roy, the God who sees me and sees everything. And this morning, I think God's word, and God wants to say to you, regardless of what you've done, I see you. And in seeing you, I love you. In expressing my love for you, I want you to know that I gave my only son to die for you. That's how much God loves you and wants you to be in relationship with him. So let's get into the love story, which is brilliant. Uh, I grew up with uh, three girls in the family, two daughters and a wife. And uh, Matt and I would often want to go for the thrillers or the dramas or the action-adventures. Rom-coms were very, very much on the agenda. Uh, And there was this tussle when we were watching family films. But this is about romance in in a really godly way. Genesis 16, verse 13 to 14. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. This is Hagar speaking. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. 
What we've got here is we've got Isaac at the age of 40. His mother has died, Sarah. And uh, Abraham is getting older and older. And he's wondering, how does this covenant promise that God gave to me that I would be the father of many many nations continue? And that's on Abraham's mind. He was very old. And uh, we've established that. He was about 140 by this stage. And it's the reason for his focus. He's concerned about the marriage of his son to continue the family line, to protect the line that God has promised to him that he would be the father of many nations, many descendants through the nation of Israel. This isn't some sort of saga holiday that he's planning um, at 140. He's not planning to go on some cruise uh, to dock in Japan or another uh, far-off coast. He is infirmed and unable to go forward. So what he does is he entrusts this to his most valued servant, most likely to be Eliza, uh, that's mentioned in Genesis 15, verse 2. And this is the guy that when Abraham was childless, in Scripture was promised to receive the inheritance of the whole of Abraham's kingdom. This is a guy who's been with Abraham and alongside Abraham for many years. He's one of the older servants who was the master of the household. I guess if if we're talking about Downton Abbey, it's the chief butler here. And he's the most entrusted person uh, to Abraham. And he gives him this challenge of going into another land, his own land, so that he can uh, get a wife for his son Isaac. In Genesis 24, it reminds us to expect that the Lord's guidance and success when we honor him and we trust him, God's covenant commitment to us, and that Abraham's servant, uh, when uh, Abraham asked him to do what he did, simply did what he was asked to do. And God answered his many prayers. Can you imagine the pressure on that guy going into the foreign land thinking, how am I going to find this wife? How am I going to find the person who will maintain the line uh, and God's covenant promise? Interestingly, uh, it's also a story that talks about dodgy handshakes, isn't it? This thing about the hand underneath the thigh. Well, actually, if you look into the meaning behind that, it means that the muscle behind the thigh, and David and and, uh, Gwyn and other uh, anatomists in the audience would recognize this, is the actual hamstring muscle. And the hamstring muscle is the seat of generative power. It's the thing that moves us forward. And so the symbolism here in the oath of placing the hand underneath the thigh, that this is my commitment to you and I want you to go forward to answer the challenge that I've given you. And anybody who's pulled a hamstring and Paul and others, the runners in the audience will know if, you, if you've pulled your hamstring muscle, you can't do a thing. You can't move forward. And God is in the symbolism here in Scripture You know, that's why we need to get excited when we read God's word, because we see God's word really impacting on our lives in a true way. 
Thank you. So as we obey the Lord's will today, let's all be challenged that we can expect his guidance. And we pray for each other, don't we, at critical points in time for guidance. And at this point, Abraham is sending Eliza out and saying, I'm with you. I can't manage it myself because I'm 140. I can't do the journey, but I'm with you and God will provide, just as he provided the ram last week in David's account. God is a faithful God. And regardless of what you are facing, if we're truly placing our hand in his to be held on the journey of life, God will provide for you. And Rebecca here in the story uh, is just the perfect bride, isn't she? She sees the servant man with his camels and with his whole train. And instead of, you know, being a bridezilla, she says, what can I do for you? Can I get you water? And she, he says, yes, I'd love some water. And can I get water for the animals as well? This is a kind person. It's a person whose heart has been prepared by God in advance because she is part of the plan and purpose. This is the way that God works. If we look on the back of that tapestry, all we see are threads. And Julie was sharing this uh, illustration with Home Group just a couple of weeks ago. But when you turn it around and you see the perfect formation of an image in the tapestry, that's how God works his plans and weaves his plans together to perfection. And we've got a little bit of tension here as we're reading. You know, we read our novels, don't we, when we go on holiday. Well, how will she respond? When Eliza says, will you come with me back to my land, how will she respond? Would she agree to go with a servant or prefer to wait for uh, the master to come and get her, which probably would have been more culturally acceptable? She had sensed in her heart that this is God's call on her life. Isn't that wonderful? And even the brother and the family were beginning to think, well, we could, we could do okay here. We could scheme. Let's keep her back. Let's try and keep her here for 10 days. There's 10 camels. Maybe we could get that to 20 or 30. I hope I'm not doing them a disservice. But you could probably see the way that they were thinking in terms of uh, the wedding gift, which was cultural in those days. But once Rebecca learns that this is God's call on her life, she commits to travel. And as they move back, towards where Abraham and Isaac is. She recognizes a man and she asks, who is that? And it's Isaac. And this is not just a beautiful woman, but a noble woman, kind of heart, somebody that God has prepared for Isaac. She would become the matriarch of the people of Israel. She would take in support of Isaac, the promise of God to Abraham in the covenant forward into the next generation. And this veiling of her face is simply, culturally, a symbol that she is betrothed to Isaac. Isn't it a beautiful love story? You can imagine it, can't you? The music coming at this stage. 
Okay, and, and all of us welling up with a tear. But this is God at work here. It isn't just a story. This is Almighty God, El Shaddai, the God who sees everyone and everything. And this is about God planning his purpose through Abraham into Isaac. It's the passing of the baton between old Abraham to younger Isaac. And Isaac married Rebekah when his father was 140 years old. Isaac, the new patriarch, the next generation for God's people. And symbolically, when she arrived, she goes into Sarah's tent, who'd been dead for three years. And Isaac had been mourning his mother during that time. And in taking, in taking Rebecca into Sarah's tent, the symbolism that she would be the new matriarch of the family and part of the healing for Isaac was so clear. Isn't it amazing that God knows our every, every need? And she would become the mother, the new mother of the nations, as was the name of Sarah. So that's the love story. Isn't it amazing? At this point, we'd probably put the lights on. Who wants a cup of tea? Anybody want a drink? (laughs) Not yet. Let's understand what God wants to talk to us each one of us here today, about his call on us and our obedience to him. And when we listen to God's word, we need to be asking questions. What does this mean to me? And what can I apply into my life today? Because God isn't just a God who writes the Bible full of beautiful, rich accounts that remind us that he constantly is for us and not against us. But how do we apply that tomorrow? and Tuesday, and next week. That's really important for us to ask. The first thing is, obedience to God proves our love for him. Now, the reason why I do things for Julie is because I love her, and the call upon me is to love her more than myself. And God's commitment to us as individuals means that if we truly are turning our, way on, our back onto the old way of life, our new way of life is that he is on the throne of our lives. He is the most important person. So when we're at the crossroads, when we have decisions to make, when there are tough things in life, where do we go to first? We should be going to God. And obedience in those situations proves our love relationship with him. In 1 John 5, this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is the love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. When we talk about being yoked or joined to God, it talks about his burden being light. Boy, oh boy, there are lots of people walking through life with heavy burdens, God's promise to you today is if you give it to him, it will be lighter. And if we're obedient to that call on our lives, then that proves and is evidence of our love to him. Obedience to God also demonstrates our faithfulness to him. At this point, Abraham knew that he had the commitment 
in relationship with God to maintain that covenant. How was he going to do that? Well, he was thinking how he could do that. And we see God working through that plan. In 1 John 2, 3 and 5, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. You see, the difference when people come into this church or talk to us is that if we're truly living for God, we will be saltier, we will be smellier in terms of the aroma of Christ, we will be lighter than other people around those individuals because we carry the light of God in our hearts. And that's the call upon our life in keeping God's commands, the call to be different. But if anyone obeys God's word, love for God is truly made complete in him. And that's why obedience is so important. This is how we know we are in God and in relationship with God. And that's our daily challenge, obedience to God. Obedience to God also glorifies God here and now. In Peter, live such good lives among the pagans, among your communities, shall we say there. Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Just in the way that the Old Testament is a signpost to Jesus, God's call on you today is to be a signpost to Jesus. The things that you do and the way that you live in obedience to God, that is what God wants to bring into this place, into this church. And finally, obedience to God opens avenues for blessing. This isn't burdensome. We can see the outcome of this particular story and how God weaves his plans into perfection. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. That's God's promise to you this morning. That's why God wants us to be obedient in our call to serve him. So God requires our obedience, often before we understand why. And that is the principle of walking in faith. Not necessarily seeing, but believing. That's our challenge. God requires our obedience before our understanding. And I love this little phrase. Obedience is the compass that guides you in the path God has ordained for you. Even if you can't see what's around the corner, God is faithful when we're obedient in that situation. And in Jeremiah, let me just remind you of God's individual plan for each one of us. Another clear covenant promise For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope for the future. All of us need hope for the future. And that takes us back to the Abrahamic covenant of new land, new hope. So Abraham simply did as God told him to in this account. And that's why God's promise is maintained through that covenant commitment so if you need a map to guide you on a trip let me just encourage you to continue to read the old testament and the bible because it's your guide in life we finish on this beautiful psalm blessed are all who fear the lord who walk 
in obedience to him. Amen.